Welcome to the CJC Weekly Bible Study, where CJC stands for Complete Jesus Christ. If your perspective of Jesus is based only on teachings from the New Testament, then your understanding is incomplete. Regarding what we often call the Old Testament, Jesus himself said, These are the very scriptures that testify about me. So won't you join us today in our study where we esteem the Newer and the Older Testaments alike. I'm your host, Jeff Smith, and currently we're working our way verse by verse through the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Genesis chapter 44. We are starting a new chapter. We are 43 fiftieths through the book of Genesis. We are 86% of the way through the book of Genesis. So uh, starting a new chapter, there's another milestone, I guess, if the theme is milestones today. Uh, Genesis chapter 44, we're going to be starting verse 1, but I feel an obligation probably to review a little bit of where, where we've been. So I want to take us back 22 years, <laughs> just temporarily. All right, If you remember, looking back from the perspective of the story in chapter 44, it's been 22 years since Joseph was sold as a slave. Since Joseph was betrayed by his brothers, thrown into a pit, hey, should we kill the guy? Oh, look, here come some traders on their way to Egypt. Let's make some money on him. Sell him to the merchants, the traders. They'll take him to Egypt. We'll have some extra money. We'll just tell Daddy got eaten by a wild animal. They take his uh, you know coat of many colors, rip it up, dip it in some blood. Hey, Dad, we're not sure. Is this the garment that was worn by your favorite? I mean, your youngest son. And Dad, ah, oh, you know he's he's really broken up about it. He tears his clothes in remorse and anguish. Since then, it's been twenty two years. The brothers have been living with this secret. Right, this guilt in their lives. Dad doesn't ever know, up to this point at least, that this has happened to his son Joseph. He assumes Joseph is dead. Instead, Joseph is in Egypt. God has his hand on his life. God has his hand on our lives. And even though he endures a time going through prison that was not deserved, which sometimes we go through some things that we don't deserve, but hey, if God's still in it with me, then, then I'll go through this dark valley. All right? So he's in this dark valley. He's in this dark place. He's in prison. And God is on him there. God blesses his life. And he ends up being elevated second in command for the whole land of Egypt. And then his brothers show up because there's a famine and they're hungry. And dad sends them down to Egypt to get some food. And part of their concern is, well, we're going to Egypt. That's the place we sold our brother. Hope we don't run into him. That would be awkward. (laughs) He might be a slave somewhere. Hopefully he doesn't say, hey, yeah, those are my brothers type of thing. But they show up because they're hungry. They go to get some grain. They got some grain, but they didn't bring Benjamin. The second son after Joseph of Jacob's favorite wife. And Jacob said, you guys go to Egypt, but... Benjamin's staying with me because I'm old and I'm attached to this boy. His mom is dead now. And if I, if something was to happen to him, I, I wouldn't be able to survive. So he sends the other brothers, the 10 other brothers, down to Egypt to get the grain. The guy that's in charge, whoever he was, he was harsh with us. We know it's Joseph, but the brothers don't. He was harsh with us. He asked us if we had a father. He asked how our father was. He asked about if we had any other brothers. We said, yes, we didn't know he was going to require us to bring him back with us and in fact he took one of us and put him in prison to assure we would come back Simeon had been arrested and put into prison waiting for them to come back so they don't want to go back to Egypt but as the famine endures the food runs out dad says why are you looking at each other why don't you go back down and get some more grain and they say well we can't really do that without taking Benjamin he says no you're not taking Benjamin dad we're not going unless we can go with Benjamin 
So they end up taking Benjamin, and they show up again. And that was close to where we're at now. They showed up. They were worried about what was going to happen. One of this had to do with the money that was in their sacks that first time they, when they got home. Oh, my goodness, how did this happen? There's money in our sacks. The guy thinks we're spies in the land, and how? Did, and here's money in our – now he's going to accuse us of being thieves. So when they went back, that was part of the trepidation. They took some extra money to give back what they were supposed to pay the first time plus buy some more. And now they show up and they tell the servant who says, hey, I've got strict orders to take you guys to the house of this guy that's in charge. And they said, hey, uh, he's going to take us you know, prisoner or something bad is going to happen to us. Can we just tell you that we brought all the money back? I don't know how it happened that we got the money that you know we were supposed to pay the first time. It ended up in our sacks. We just want to give it to you before you take us to the house because that could be really bad. And he says, what are you talking about? I, I'm good. We got your money last time. Now they're confused, right? So they went to the house. Joseph showed them hospitality, gave them a feast. He ends up bestowing a special blessing on Benjamin, which was kind of weird. None of them got a blessing. He lets Simeon out of the prison. He arranges the banquet table according to their birth. You'll remember we looked at the odds of that happening. It was something like 1 in 39 million that he would actually get that right, you know, if, if he didn't know them. He actually does. And then what ended up happening? Everything seemed to be going well. And this guy, whoever, whatever his name is, second in command of the entire land, is, is bestowing honor upon us at this banquet, and they enjoy themselves. And that's how chapter 43 ends. We're picking up now chapter 44. This is the next morning after they've had this wonderful banquet at the house of the second in charge, which we know is Joseph, their younger brother. Would somebody mind reading verse 1? And he commanded the steward of his house, saying, Fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Excellent. Thank you, Gabriella. So that second word there in that verse, and he, who is the he there? Joseph. It's Joseph. So it's Joseph commanding who? To whom is he talking? Yeah, the steward of the house, a trusted servant. Okay, so he's telling, so Joseph is telling the steward of his house to fill these men's sacks. Who's the men? Brothers. The brothers, exactly. So fill the fill the sats that are going to be taken by the brothers with as much food as they can carry. Mm-hmm. And what's the additional instruction that they're given? Put the money back in. Again, we're doing this again. He's repeating this again. So, okay, all right. All right, we've been here before. We've seen this happen before. So the steward's probably like, I don't get it, but all right, I'll do what you say. So he's putting the money into the sacks. He's filling those sacks with as much food as they can carry. Uh, This could be provisional in the sense that maybe Joseph wants dad to be taken care of. Maybe he wants to make sure that there's enough grain in there that uh, they can sustain themselves, you know, back home. It's, It's their family. Maybe that's what the motivation is. It could be just generosity. We saw the night before at the banquet. He was very generous with giving it all that he could. Or there could be something else going on. Maybe it's, you know, you feel the sack's extra heavy. The brother's going to be thinking, oh, you know, that looks like a very full sack. It's probably going to be heavier than normal. And it maybe uh, masks the fact that there's silver in there in the sacks again. So it's understandable that this would be heavier because it's so full when he's trying to hide the silver. I don't know. We don't know what the what the reason is. It, it could be any of those or it could be something else. And then ver- verse 2. Somebody am I reading verse 2? Then put my cup, the silver one, in the mouth of the youngest one's sack, along with the silver for his grain. And he did as Joseph said. So who's the younger one? Benjamin. Benjamin. So Joseph, Benjamin's older brother by the same mom. All right. They are full brothers. Everybody else is half brother. Joseph is setting up a sting operation. All right. And, And the person that's getting set up 
it looks like it's Benjamin, but it's going to turn out to be everybody else too, if not more so. All right? So he's setting this up so that little baby Benjamin is going to look like the bad guy. All right? So he's saying, take my cup. What do we know about this cup so far? Silver. It's silver. We don't know much about it. It's silver, and uh, that's all we know so far. And it's to be put into the sack that Benjamin is going to be in charge of, right? That Benjamin's going to be carrying. All right? So that's kind of strange. But okay, we'll go with that. Uh, how about verse 3? Somebody might reading that one. As the morning dawned, the men were sent on their way with their donkeys. Very good. Thank you, Mike. So it sounds like all is well, right? You get up that next morning, and you haven't been full in a long time, and your tummy's still full from the night before, and you're going, you know what? We've been living in a famine, but boy, wasn't last night awesome. That guy, I don't know who he was, but boy, he sure treated us well. Right? You're thinking all is well. So everybody's getting up. Oh, okay, it's time to go. We're going to have to, you know, leave soon. Let's everybody get ready. Put your socks and shoes on. Uh, verse 4. Somebody might read that one. I'll read it. And I'll read it in pink and in blue. <laughs> <laughs> I will tell Dinah, and she'll feel honored by that. <laughs> they had just gone out of the city and were not far off when Joseph said to his house servant, Up, follow the men. And when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Oh, Lavette, I love it. I heard the pink and the blue there. I think I'm starting to understand. <laughs> So they've left. They're on their way, but they haven't gone far. And Joseph tells his trusted servant to get up and chase them down. But he gives his servant words to say when you get to them, when you catch up to them. All right. So what are the words here? The words are, why have you repaid evil for good? And the next verse is going to give us a few more words. Somebody might reading verse five. Is not this the one from which my Lord drinks and with which he indeed practices divination? Uh, you have done evil in so doing. So these are words that are being given to the servant. The servant hasn't spoken them yet. But Joseph is telling the servant, these are the things you're going to need to say when you catch up to them. All right. By the way, while we're going through this, my oldest daughter, she's 17 and a half. She's going through that whole paying attention to what it, what it means to drive. Okay. And so my job as the dad, I want to make sure she gets squared away about driving. All right. So what we do is that as I drive around, if something crops up, I'll pull uh, her attention to it. So I might say, okay, now notice that sign. That sign says, do not turn on red. Usually when you come to a stoplight, you stop, you look both ways. If it's safe to proceed, you can turn right unless you see that sign, right? So I point out something that's out of the norm, but it's something she needs to know about. Or we're driving another place and I'll say, okay, now look at the lines out there. Those lines mean that this lane is going to disappear soon. And that means it's time to get over. If you want to stay on the freeway and you don't want to be forced to exit, then those little dots, you know, those little squares or rectangles, those, those, that line means get over so that you don't have to exit. Just little things, right? It would also be important probably for me to tell her what's going to happen in an accident and how to conduct herself, okay? But we haven't had that discussion yet. So, so for the most part, most of what I do is I just point out normal things to help her navigate in, in her normal everyday life. When she gets old enough to drive, the stuff that she's going to be engaged with the most are going to be normal things. The accidents are going to be exceptionally rare. All right. When I'm teaching through this material, every once in a while we might come upon something that maybe is really big, like an accident, and we'll have that talk. But for the most part, and today's lesson is a lot like this, this is just normal stuff. As we're going through this, if at the end of today's study or any of these studies, if you're wondering, but what was the big point? Sometimes it's not about the big point. 
Sometimes it's about next time you come across this area or next time something pops up in your life that sounds similar to this stuff that you go, you know what, that's part of life. That's part of the normalness of living life. And I recognize that the Bible has something to say along those lines. So in your normal life of understanding God's word, it might not be about boom, big thing, boom, big thing. It might be a lot of little normal things, all right? So we're just looking at little normal things right now. So they get up in the morning. They get dressed. They get on their donkeys. They go on their way. There's no big boom, earth-shattering you know, thing I, I can reveal to you in that, all right? Uh, there will be some fun that we're going to have today. But for the most part, a lot of this is just laying the groundwork in our own lives so that we can come back here. And here's one thing I've noticed, and you guys have probably noticed it as well. Have you ever had that situation or that experience where you run into somebody, you have a conversation, there's some sort of scenario you find yourself in and you think to yourself, that is just like what I heard last Sunday, or that is just like I just read in my Bible study, in my personal time or whatever. You know that God has a way of taking the time that you've invested it in ruminating on his word and and contemplating and, and meditating on his word, and he has a way of taking that and making it applicable in your everyday normal life. So as we look at these kinds of things, they become something God can use, almost like seeds that would be planted and can sprout later. All right, so if you're looking for grand excitement as we're going through this, we don't have it yet. All right, we might see some in a little bit. All right, so as soon as the morning dawned, the men were sent on their way. When they had gone out of the city and were not yet far off, Joseph said to his steward, Get up, follow the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? What does that mean? Why have you repaid evil for good? What would that imply to them? He understands, the servant understands it's about the cup. Their brothers aren't going to know. They're not in on it yet. They don't realize that this is a sting operation. They have no clue this is coming. And then the next verse, verse 5, Is not this the one from which my Lord drinks and with which he indeed practices divination? You have done evil in so doing. So that's going to be the speech. Joseph gives to his servant to use to accuse the men when he catches up to them. All right. So some of the things I want to talk about in here. In verse 5, when he says, is not this the one from which my Lord drinks? Let's just talk about the word Lord here just for a second. Here this word is used to indicate a master or somebody above you. It can even be used by the word sir or a sovereign, a king. Okay. So it's a word that doesn't have to mean Lord God of the universe. When we run across it. And and we've been using it and we've seen it in other times as well. Sarah used it of Abraham describing or or referring to Abraham in chapter 18. In verse 19, it was Lot used this polite phrase to address the strangers that were in the square that he was concerned about leaving them in Sodom at the square. Come into my house, please. Uh, It was used of the Hittites when they were negotiating with Abraham about buying the the plot of land to bury Sarah after she had died. It's a word that's respectful, and it's saying to the other person, uh, you're above me, or I defer to you, or I submit myself to you. It's politeness. So it doesn't have to mean divinity. That's just the, the little thing that we're drawing out there. And then when he says, and with which he indeed practices divination. So Joseph is giving instructions to the servant to accuse the brothers of taking the cup with which Joseph uses for divination. What is divination? We've only seen it one other time in our studies through the book of Genesis. It's witchcraft. It's the occult. It's dabbling in the occult. Basically, it can be described as, it's kind of a two-part description. One is foretelling the future or try to get hidden knowledge. All right, try to uh, tap into some hidden knowledge. All right, so that's kind of the two-part description of, of what divination means. 
the way that you would use it with a cup, there's a couple different... There's I learn so much when I study and prepare for these things. So this week I learned about hydromancy, tassiomancy, oleomancy, lacanomancy. And so let me tell you a little bit about what each one of these means because they're kind of, kind of interesting. So oleomancy is boiling oil into water. Have you guys ever done that? What, what happens to oil when you pour it into water? It separates. It separates, right. They don't combine. They don't mix. So what ends up happening is the oil ends up floating to the top. All right. And the thought is if you had water in a cup and you would pour oil into it, that perhaps the person who's engaging in this divination would see some sort of nebulous indication of what the future holds. All right. Maybe somebody comes to the person that practices this and says, am I going to get well or am I going to die? Or should I go to war? If I do, will I win or will I lose? Is my wife ever going to get pregnant or is she going to be barren forever? You know, those kinds of questions somebody would want an answer to. They go to somebody who maybe engages in this kind of thing and pours the water into the oil or pours the oil into the water. So oleomancy is pouring oil into water. Pouring water into oil is hydromancy. All right, kind of interesting. Uh, same kind of thing. You pour and you see what, and it's some sort of indication, hey, this says you're going to, you know, get pregnant. So it's that kind of thing that they're trying to tap into hidden knowledge or trying to tap into what the future might hold. Two of the other ones that I mentioned, lacanomancy, that is observing the action of liquids in some kind of container. So maybe putting it in the cup and swirling it around and seeing how it behaves, and that's some sort of indication. And that I hear like tea readers or tea leaves was one of the other ones that we were, that's tassiomancy. So it's reading the tea leaves. You sprinkle them into the, into the cup of liquid and you see what happens as they fall in, and that gives you some sort of indication uh, of what the future holds. So uh, tassiomancy, oleomancy, hydromancy, and, and lacanomancy, we don't know which in which of those ways it was used by Joseph or even if he used it at all. Or even if he used it at all. Why would I bring that up? Because in the Mosaic Law, it's against the law to do this. All right? However, Mosaic Law isn't in effect yet. Moses is still 400 plus years away. Writing it down is still 400 plus years away. However, he writes down some of the stuff that was already being practiced. So what else could this be? Here's my proposal. What is this? It's a gavel. How many of you, you guys know that, right? You know, we've all seen this. We've all we've all seen the gavel. However, let me ask you this: in this building, where we have what? What, what do we have? Forty six courtrooms. I think we have forty six courtrooms in this building. Lots of judges. Lots of gavels. Never used. When was the last time you saw somebody use this, no. other than like a ceremonial or, or fun, you know, occasion? <laughs> I've never seen in my 18, 19 years of working in this building, I haven't seen a judge actually use this in the everyday life of being a judge on the bench. I've seen it at parties, you know, when they want to call the, you know, everybody's like being rowdy and it's time to, you know, sing happy birthday to somebody or something. They'll bang, 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 you know, it's fun. But I haven't ever seen them use a gavel in the normal course of business. So why are there so many of these? Because it harkens back to a time or a tradition. It's a symbol, right? of something that maybe isn't practiced anymore, or for them, it's just not something that they do. In Joseph's case, would he have a cup? Yeah, there's a cup. However, does he use it? I think it's like one of these decorative gavels. I think he has the cup because it's a symbol of what everybody thinks he does. Right? He's second in command in a pagan nation. They're probably all thinking, oh yeah, he totally uses that cup. (laughs) No, he gets his knowledge from God. Right? He doesn't need tea leaves. He doesn't need oil and water. He needs a relationship with the Lord of the universe. That's how he gets his knowledge. And does he get hidden knowledge? He absolutely does. If you'll remember when he was in jail with the baker and the butler. 
How did he know? Did he just guess? Did he happen to guess right that one was going to live and one was going to die? Did he happen to guess right on the dreams of Pharaoh? Or did God give him an indication that we would call, wow, that was knowledge that was hidden from everybody else? Does he need a cup? No more than a judge needs a gavel anymore. All right? It's a symbol of what everybody kind of sees goes along with the position, even though it's not used. So the cup for Joseph, I don't think he actually used it for divination. I don't think he poured oil into water, water into oil. Uh, One of the other things, too, when you're going to find out when they're accused of this, how is it even possible to consider that they might have taken it? And I'll leave that question with you for a few minutes as we move on in some of this, and that's going to come up again. But regarding foretelling the future, J. Vernon McGee has an interesting thing he says. He says, note that the steward says that Joseph uses his cup for divining. Remember that Joseph was a prophet, and he was able to foretell the future. We know that is so because he interpreted the dreams of the baker and the butler and of Pharaoh. He may have used this cup, or maybe that was part of the ruse that he used. We must understand that his gift of prophecy was a gift that God had given him, and this was before there was any written revelation. We are not to get a cup and look at tea leaves, nor are we to watch the horoscope. That is all absolute nonsense. It reveals the sad spiritual condition of people today when they turn to that sort of thing. Joseph had a gift. It was not in the cup. His gift was from God. All right. So moving on then, verse 6. Somebody might read verse 6. And so he overlooked them, and he spoke to them these same words. Excellent. Thanks, Sherry. Did it say overlook, or is there a different word there? Overlook. Overtook. Overtook. Good. All right. Hey, bad eyes. <laughs> right. A little tiny screen. I see you. Yes, yes. Overlook and overtook her. Totally. <laughs> so we overtook them. Good job. Who is the he? So so he, who is the he in this? The steward. The steward of the servant. Right. So he, the servant, overtook them. And he, who is that? The servant. The servant. Still talking about the servant. And he spoke to them. Who is that? The brothers. the brothers. And he said the same. these same words. What are the words? The ones we just looked at in the verses before. The speech he was given by Joseph to accuse them. All right? So you can see the sting is about to be sprung. All right? Uh, it's been 22 years since the brothers sold Joseph into slavery. It's been 22 years that they've been in that state, that condition, that guilt. Okay? As some of the commentators point out, and one of them right here, I've got Kenneth Matthews, who's quoting Bruce Walt. He says, 20 years of unresolved conflict between the brothers will be reconciled on this critical day of testing. It's all coming to a head right now, right here. And we get to watch. <laughs> Fortunately, we're not part of this. All right. So we get to watch it. Verse 7. Somebody might reading that one. And they said to him, why does my Lord say these words? Far be it from us that your servant should do such a thing. Excellent. Thank you, Mike. Mike's reading from the New King James Version right there. That's indicating what the brothers are saying in response to the speech that was given to the servant. All right. Uh, New Living Translation. I like how it goes on this verse as well. Let me read the New Living Translation. Verse 7. What are you talking about? The brothers responded. We are your servants and would never do such a thing. (laughs) I love how that rolls off my tongue as I'm reading it. Uh, So here we have the brothers responding. They're being accused. So you can imagine... Boy, you know, they're on their donkeys, right? They got their big sacks of grain. They're heading home. They've had a great meal. No clue that anything wrong is going on. And maybe somebody goes, hey, uh, there's a big dust cloud behind us. (laughs) Looks like a whole bunch of people riding really fast in our direction. Oh, let's get out of the road so they can go on by. What happens? The big entourage shows up. The guy that's obviously in charge, maybe by the way he's dressed or whatever, or maybe they recognize him from the night before, who was nice to them last night, 
points to them and accuses them. What are you doing repaying evil for good? What? So it's all coming out now. You took the cup that belongs to my master. It's the one he uses for divination, right? All of a sudden you're like, what are you talking about? We didn't do that, you know? So you can imagine a little bit of panic and a little bit of indignation probably rising up in them, right? They were just content, fat, dumb, and happy going home. And now this, right? The tables are turned. Everything is coming unglued. And this is the situation that they're in? Oh, boy. All right. And here's what I want to bring up that question I asked you earlier. Is it even possible that they could have taken it? Is it even possible it possible. is. Dinner. It's possible. It could have been on the table at dinner. They were in the room. It could have been at the end of the evening. Maybe Joseph goes, oh, you guys have been great. I'm going to go to bed and leaves the cup out there. It could have potentially been taken by somebody. So it's not that they're arguing that it's impossible. So what are they arguing? They are arguing this is out of character for us. This is out of character for us. What are they arguing is out of character for us? That they would take a big risk for financial gain. Mm-hmm. Have they ever done that before? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> they sold their brother. <laughs> they took a really big risk. What's going to do, Dad? I don't care. I got some money out of it. <laughs> and they did it for financial gain. Mm-hmm. So they're not arguing that it's impossible, that it couldn't have happened. They're arguing that it's not in our character. We wouldn't have done, That's not us. That's not how we behave. Joseph knows them better than that, but it's been 22 years. He needs to know, have they changed? And this is going to show whether or not they've changed. So they rise up with indignation. This is out of character. What are the actual words it says? We are your servants and would never do such a thing. Or in the New King James, far be it from us that your servants should do such a thing. Jumping down to verse 8 then. Somebody mind reading verse 8. We even brought back to you from the land of Canaan the silver we found inside the mouth of our sacks. Mm. So why would we steal silver or gold from your master's house? Excellent. Thank you, Esther. So logically, that, that makes sense. Why would a thief bring back something and offer to turn it back in and then steal something later? I mean, they did. They had Simeon in, in jail, right? And how many of you have had a, or seen a, a case that goes something like this? Uh, we have, we've had at least two that I could think of. One was a guy that steals pants. I mean, I'm talking modern day. I'm not talking old time. A guy that steals pants, and then he goes back to the store to return the pants. He's returning something to get something. He's returning what he stole, and his idea is to get money. We've also seen a Home Depot case. Somebody stole power tools, and Home Depot has a great return policy. He takes the power tools back to Home Depot that he stole in the hopes of getting money. So that happens even nowadays. Is it possible that they could have taken the cup? It's still possible, but they're trying to argue logically. That doesn't make sense. We wouldn't return something to steal something else. That's what they want to say. Uh, I should probably say at the end of verse 8 here, James Montgomery Boyce says this, Never mind that they had once sold their younger brother into slavery and had lived with their lie for two decades. Oh, yeah, they were honest men, is the way James Montgomery Boyce had put it there for that one. I love that. Verse 9, somebody might read that one. If any of your servants is found to have it, he will die, and the rest of us will become my Lord's slaves. Ooh. 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 <laughs> So here, here's what they're saying. They're saying, we are so sure that we didn't take it. If you find it, let the person who's got to die. And the rest of us will be slaves. We'll be your slaves. Is the servant in on this? The servant is in on this. He knows, because he was the one that set it up, he knows that they have the cup. He knows where he's going to find the cup. The brothers don't know. 
So they have taken it a step further than they needed to, right? Because there was no mention of any punishment so far. And theoretically, it could happen that you find the cup in somebody's sack. We know it's going to be Benjamin. And what ends up happening? It could be that Benjamin gets arrested and hauled back to Egypt, which I could see perhaps Joseph had intended. It might have been an intention by Joseph. The outcome of this could be I get my little brother back. And I get to protect my brother from the mean old brothers that sold me as a slave in Egypt. And dad will come for him. That's a possibility that maybe Joseph's like, I could live with that outcome. What else could happen? Maybe he's hoping that they will defend his little brother, Benjamin. He, that would That's kind of a stretch, though, for these guys. So either way, you set it up for Benjamin. Benjamin, one scenario, he gets protected in Egypt. The other scenario, there's restoration. Those are two possible scenarios. Well, they're now raising the stakes. They're saying, if you find it, kill that person. Did you see that? Mm-hmm. Let him die. He didn't, the servant didn't say anything about the guy must die. And we'll all be your slaves. So he's saying, basically, all 11 of us, we're all 11 unifying ourselves. We're all on the same page. We're on the same team with this one. If one person goes down, we all go down. That's a unity we haven't seen in this family. That's a little clue that maybe something's changed in them in the last 22 years. This is this is an indication, maybe a good change. However, in this time and in this place, if you invoked an oath like this, it becomes binding if it's received. If the servant says, then let it be as you say, and doesn't modify it, then somebody's going to die and the others are going to be slaves. The servant didn't propose the punishment, they did. And a person who was accused could propose their punishment and if it was accepted then that would be what was ratified oh boy then what's going to happen in the next verse somebody mind looking at the next verse verse 10 somebody mind reading that one and he said now also let it be according to your word oh wait stop there what (laughs) the servant is saying yes that doesn't sound like oh wait okay maybe i should let you read the rest of the verse all right go for it (laughs) he with whom it is found shall be my slave and you shall be blameless do you see what the servant's doing here He's not accepting their terms, their proposal. He's not ratifying their oath. He is intentionally saying, I'm going to change it up. The person who's got it, here's what we're going to do. Not everybody's going to be enslaved. Not That person's going to die. He says, we're going to make a slave of the one that has it, and the rest of you will be free to go. Whether or not that instruction was given by Joseph, we don't know. It's not in there. If it was, what would that be an indication of? That means that Joseph is indica- that means that Joseph is tipping his hand and wants his little brother with him and let the others go. What would that do? That would allow his brothers, the ones that forsook him, wanted to kill him, but ended up selling him as a slave, sending him down to Egypt, and then going to dad and saying, uh, he looks like he's dead. He's giving them an opportunity to do the same with Benjamin. He's giving them an opportunity to get home and say to dad, Sorry, Dad. We went down 11. We came back 10. We lost one. Sorry, it was Benjamin. And we couldn't help it. He's giving them a way to be their old self as a test and to make money off of it. They have silver in the sacks, including Benjamin's sack. And it's silver that they don't even need to tell Dad about if they don't want to. Hmm. He's giving them a chance to show their true colors. Are you going to be the same way you were to me 22 years ago? Or is something going to be different? That's the test he's given. You know, uh, I look at my life, and I look at myself. Am I a different person than I was a year ago? I think sometimes with God, 
a year is not quite long enough to get a good measurement of change. We should be changed. And it would be nice to be able to say, a year later, I know I'm changed. I'm a better person than I was a year ago. But I think in God's economy, sometimes 22 years gives a better picture. Because <laughs> 22 years we're seeing in the brothers' lives, I see some change. I see something going on here. Maybe in our lives, instead of looking a year back and letting the devil whisper in our ear, you're no different than you were a year ago, maybe take it back a little further. <laughs> maybe take it back a little further and say, am I different than I was four years ago, six years ago, ten years ago? Am I different than I was 22 years ago? All of a sudden, maybe the devil doesn't have an accusation anymore. Maybe the spirit and says, whispers to you, you know what, I'm doing a work on you, but don't expect it all to be overnight. You know, maybe the Spirit would be saying to you, yes, there's change. Look at your life. You've come a long way, and I'm not done yet. Maybe the Spirit says, take a bigger look than just one year. <laughs> All right. So these verses, verse 10. Verse 10, uh, we looked at that one already in the New King James. I want to read NIV and the NLT as we go as well. Uh, verse 10 in the NIV says, Very well then, he said, let it be as you say. Whoever is found to have it will become my slave. The rest of you will be free from blame. Or the New Living says this, That's fair, the man replied. But only the one who stole the cup will be my slave. The rest of you may go free. All right? So you can, you can kind of hear the different translations give a, a different taste or a different flavor. Uh, verse 11. So they're so sure they don't have it. What happens in verse 11? That each man speedily let down his sack to the ground and each opened his sack. Uh, we have search and seizure that we run across a lot here in this building, right? Sounds like search and, a little bit of search and seizure going on right there. Uh, verse 12. So he searched. This is the servant now. He's searching. He began with the oldest and left off with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. All right, so here's a couple things. One of the things I want to say is, look how this situation is kind of similar to the situation when Jacob, with his family, was leaving Laban. Remember that? And he tried to sneak away, but his favorite wife ended up taking the household gods. Remember that? And they snuck away, trying to get away from Laban, who's like this taskmaster of a you know father-in-law. And he chases them down, and his accusation is, hey, you guys took my gods. His little idols, his little fetishes, his little, you know, these are, these are the symbols of power in his home. And Jacob's like, what are you talking about? If anybody here has those gods, let them die. Not knowing his favorite wife, Rachel, has them. They're in the saddlebag. She's sitting on the saddlebag. What ends up happening? Laban searches. And he goes, and the last person he searches is what? Rachel's place. Rachel's tent. And Rachel's sitting on the saddlebags, hiding those things in the saddlebag. And she goes, uh, Dad, you know, please permit it that I don't need to stand because the way of women is with me. You know, I guess that was a good excuse to not have to stand up in the presence of your father or something. And she successfully keeps them concealed, right? She could have died. She could have died that day, all right? Here, the steward, he says, you know, hey, you took the cup. And they go, hey, if anybody has the cup, let them die. And he begins to do the search, and he ends with the last person who has it. Just like the Laban situation. Ended with the last person that actually had him. Here he gets to Benjamin. What happens is a little bit different. He finds the cup, right? So we get to the youngest one. The cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Oh, dear. Again, I love that order. that He starts with the oldest and ends with the youngest. Again, one in 39 million. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> uh, but he ends up finding the cup. So now what can happen? The brothers, oh, they could... <laughs> they could, you know what? Oh my goodness, I can't. Benjamin, what are you doing? I didn't do anything. Well, now we got to go home and tell dad about this. Bye. Could have. They don't. What do they do instead? They tear their clothes. We've seen that they tore their clothes in Genesis two times already so far. Only two times. Once when Reuben went back to the pit where he expected to find Joseph because he was expecting to, you know, restore Joseph to dad. He gets there and Joseph's not there. 
Reuben, first person in the Bible, rips, tears his clothes. He's actually distraught that his plan to restore his little brother Joseph to dad isn't going to work out. And then he finds out, oh, they sold it. You know where the other time is? When they go to dad and they present Joseph's coat of many colors that's ripped to shreds and covered in blood and says, dad, is this maybe the same coat that belonged to Joseph? Hoping he'll come to the conclusion that his son's dead by wild beast. And dad rips his clothes. The brothers didn't. They don't rip their clothes in remorse that their brother might have been killed by a wild beast. They ripped Joseph's clothes. <laughs> that was the only clothes they ripped. They ripped the coat of many colors dipped in blood. But here they're ripping their clothes. Nowadays we buy clothes. We could buy a whole outfit at Walmart for, what, 20 bucks. <laughs> it's not a big deal to rip clothes nowadays. Back then it was a big deal. You might not have had a change of clothes. All right? It was a way to show remorse. It was, a way, it was the deepest, most symbolic outward expression of, of a way that you could show the world is against me. <laughs> And they're ripping their, they're tearing their clothes. They're participating as a group, unified, that they're all being devastated by this situation. Because they know if they get home to dad, dad is not going to do well to hear news that Benjamin is dead. They know that. Joseph is hoping that they will be unified. Joseph is hoping back at his palace house that he won't just see Benjamin being brought, but that he'll see the whole group of them. And as he's waiting for that to happen, for their arrival... It could end up being just his one little brother, Benjamin, and he would come to the conclusion that the rest of them haven't changed. Or, as we see here, it could be a group of them coming back, that there's been a change wrought in the lives of his brothers. Matthew Henry says this, he says, When the cup was found upon Benjamin, they would have had a pretext for leaving him to be a slave, but we cannot judge what men are now by what they have been formerly nor what they will do by what they have done. I need to read that again. We cannot judge what men are now by what they have been formerly, nor what they will do by what they have done. The devil will whisper in your ear, you're no different than you used to be. The devil will whisper in your ear, you haven't changed, so you're going to fall today the same way you fell last time. But God has a different message for you. His message is, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And that change comes to those who submit themselves to God. And just because you fell last week, or last year, or the last decade, doesn't mean you're going to fall today. We cannot judge what men are now by what they have been formerly, nor what they will do by what they have done. And then James Montgomery Voice says, and this is really kind of strange, and it kind of caught me off guard a little bit, but he says regarding this passage right here, in my judgment, this is the point in the story at which the brothers are actually born again. What? Before this, they were unregenerate. From this point on, they are transformed individuals. It sounds like God has done something in them. Whether it was recent or over the whole 22 years, we don't know for sure. But something has occurred. They're different now. Verse 14, So Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, and he was still there, and they fell or threw themselves before him on the ground. And now we got to ask this. Kenneth Matthew says, How much longer can the ruse continue short of crushing this family? Right? Ah, they don't know it's Joseph. Here they come. They're bowing down. We don't know how it's going to end. Well, I guess we'll have to tune in next week to find out. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for your word. And we thank you that just the normalcy of going through your word sometimes leads to interesting things that crop up in our lives. 
we pray that you would help us to be edified and strengthened and uh, built up by seeing how you deal with us in the pattern of how you've dealt with people so long ago. And we thank you, God, for your patience with us. And we thank you, Lord, for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. You guys have a great week. <laughs> thank you, guys, for the love. Wait, wait. Oh. <laughs> Happy birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Thank you, guys. You're turning red. I, am I? I can feel I'm hot. Totally <laughs> All right. I definitely want to take one of these cookies. All right. And while the tears are vegan, they're vegan. All right. Anybody want some?